This morning in Psalm 34, I wanted to look at just for a little bit. But I appreciate you allowing me to, the, the previous 10 or 15 minutes, to just open up my heart to you and to give you some insight. The Lord has called us, and I believe this ministry, in part, to be a watchman. Because if, as the time gets shorter and shorter until he comes back, the Bible explicitly says that it's going to get very difficult. And sometimes I don't know if, if the difficulty is too much in facing more persecution. It might be. But the difficulty as well will be the deceivableness. The, the people that come into the church that say that they are the church and they're not the church. You know, remember when we were, we were talking about uh, when we were in, in Revelation chapter 2 and, and uh, Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus, right? And, and he says, I love the fact that those that come to you and say that we're apostles, but they're not. You recognize them, you know? There are going to be people that are coming in, and when we get to chapter 4 of, of 1 John, we see it, test the spirits, you know? Test them. We have, you know... Uh, a big part of, of Paul's admonition to Timothy before he left, and the Timothy letters is test. Test. Know this. In the last days, perilous times will come. You know? Uh, John talks a lot about it. They all talk about it. Jesus, you know, I was going to talk about that this morning, but I just felt that it would be for a different day. Jesus, his first thing in, in Matthew 24, answering questions. They came in and said, Lord, when's going to be the sign of your coming? What's going to be, what, what is it going to be like at the end of the age? It's not earthquakes, although it is. I'm talking about preeminence here, first thing he's sitting down. It's not famines, yet it is. What it is is spiritual deception. He said, let no man deceive you. He went on to say there's going to become that false wolves, or excuse me, wolves, now they're going to come in sheep's clothing. There's going to be false Christ. There's going to be false prophets. There's going to be all this delusion going on, and it's going to be going on from what Paul said in Acts 20 from your midst. And we want to be ready for that. Psalm 34, I just wanted to touch on a few highlights. You know, one thing I love about the Word of God is when, it, when it's been taken in context, you can go anywhere in the Word of God and it's like a tree. It's supported by every other part of the Word of God. Never contradictory. Never something, wow, I've never seen that before because if something pops up one place, you could surely read it and study the Word of God and you'll find it. That if it's regarding the character of our God, it is all through the Scripture. We could go from Genesis chapter 1 and study that first chapter, and I can go to Revelation 22, and I can say, that's my God. Right there. I know him. That's my God. I will bless the Lord at all times. I want to read the first 10 verses, and we'll get back. Just to spend just a quick amount of time this morning. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. 
O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Brethren, we can bless the Lord at all times. I want to be a blessing to him. How do I do that? He doesn't need money. He doesn't need my works. He doesn't need, I certainly don't have anything in it materially that I can offer to him. But there is one thing that you can offer to God. And he's not going to forcibly take it from you. And that's your heart. That's your mind. That's your will. In everything you do. It is amazing how many times, looking back over the course of my Christian life, how many times in my life that I should not be joyous, but I am. I should not have peace, but I do. And that's all because of Jesus Christ. And I want to praise Him for that. I want to walk in such a way, I want to not only walk circumspectly, but I want to make the most of my time here because the days are evil. By the way, the Psalm is a Psalm of David. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Do we praise God continually? Well, you know, from, coming from a non-biblical, coming from a non-spiritual, coming in a non-born-again uh, attitude, that would be ridiculous. Why would you praise and worship and, and be exalted and, and rejoice in the times of absolute trouble? But you see, a Christian is different. We know from the Word of God that God allows those times. As hard as they are, wow, hard, difficult times, God allows those times in our life for our good. So I can praise Him. The world doesn't care about your good. They can care less about you. Your job can care less about you. Think about that right now. I don't care. You know, I have not heard in how many years. I'm only 55 years old. I'm fairly young. But I still haven't heard it yet to where, you know what? Boy, my company, they're going to take care of me to death. They just love me and they, they care about everything I do. And they, No, they don't. And I'm not getting down on good companies. What I'm saying is that for the Christian. Everything that happens to us comes through a loving hand of our Father for our good. Wow. You know, in and of myself, I can't understand that. My mind doesn't compute that. But the Scripture says that, and I believe it. My God said it. I believe it. Christ did it. <laughs> that settles it. Whatever order you want. That makes it all together the playing field different. For the man and woman of God. I can praise him at all times. That's what blesses him. Will you trust me? 
I was reading an, an aged gentleman the other day. He was talking about uh, trusting in God, and he likened it to hanging on a, a cliff that is miles high, a sheer cliff, and and leaning over and falling on it backwards, knowing and trusting that God will catch you. Think about that scenario for a second. Think about being on uh, on a cliff somewhere and backing up to it and closing your eyes and falling back and knowing that God is going to be there. Can you do that? We can do that. We can bless Him and praise Him at all times because no matter what happens to us, it happens for our good and His glory. That's, that's what the Bible says. So I can bless Him at all times. Do I? No. And I'm grieved. And He is grieved. Oh, child. <laughs> you know? Trust Him with everything that you have. Trust Him when people die. Trust Him when you lose your job and you can't find the way. Trust Him when you don't know what's going on. You don't know what's happening. You can trust Him and bless Him at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Look at verse 2. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. And guess what? The humble are going to hear it and be glad. You know, the humble hears that we trust in the Lord and, and they that comforts them too. Paul said that we can comfort those that are cast down with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted by God. Think about that verse. That is amazing. God comforts us so that we might in turn be able to comfort them or whoever's going that with, with the comfort we have gotten ourselves from God. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? That's the attitude of giving. That's the heartfelt giving, not the hoarding. Can't you see how hoarding is so uh, harmful of any type? He says in verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Let us exalt his name together. Magnify the Lord with me. He is so worthy of it. Like I said, you can't get any more of a blessing than God. That's what grace is. God blessing himself unreservedly on us in Jesus Christ. And if that weren't enough, he blesses us every day with all good things to enjoy. Our soul. The seed of the emotions. The knowing of our surroundings. The knowing that we are alive, the constitution of our of our being, if you will, what the world sees is manifested on the outside. You know, Jesus says something that I really need to understand that the church doesn't know much of anymore. He said, "You know what? You're like dishes." The religious leaders. He said, "You know, the outside are perfect, man. They're white. They're just." They're wonderful. Haven't you ever gone to a, a, an antique store or something? You've seen something and, and you know you like it. You look at it; it's dirty. You know it's been there a while or whatever. Maybe that's a poor example, but that's what Jesus is saying. You know, the outside of the dish is so clean, so white, 
people view you as very spiritual and all that, but on the inside, they're unwashed, they're unkept. You know, people see on the outside what is going on on the inside. It will come out eventually. Jesus said in Mark 7, out of the heart of men come adulteries, murders, thefts, all these kind of things. It will come out. You know? Somebody that, that, that does any of these things, you know what's happened on the inside before it ever happened on the outside. It will come out. So we magnify and we praise the Lord Jesus Christ and the soul makes us boast in the Lord when we want to walk before Him in purity. Lord, clean out the inside of the dish. I don't want to be so much. I mean, I want to be clean on the outside to bring you glory, but I want to be clean on the inside because I know that's a pretense. And that's how we exalt and we magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to do it together. We need to solidify the relationships that we've made with each other. Because after all, carry on in eternity. Let us exalt his name together. Look at verse 4. I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. That's a mouthful. I sought the Lord and he heard me. The only reason why God hears you is because of Jesus Christ. We've come into Christ. We've come into a personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He hears us because of that. Do we come to Him sincerely? When was the last time that we have prayed sincerely to the Lord? Oh yeah, we, we have those foxhole moments, I call, where, where it's gloom or doom, it's live or die, and that really tells the soul. But do we come in every day with, with uh, sincerity and truth? I sought the Lord, verse 4. Job said it this way, even though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. That's the faith that God wants us to have. No matter what, God is doing, allowing these things in our life to fashion us. I remember why, because I grew up in Nevada. I remember seeing early on, my dad used to take me to a feed store that, that we used to get our feed for our, our animals with and and they still, back in the early 70s, they, they were still making horseshoes the old-fashioned way on a, on a heated anvil. Or I should say on an anvil, and they'd get the, the shoe real hot, remember? And the guy had nice, I, I loved it, his nice big forearms, you know. And he'd put it down, and he'd beat that thing. Beat it, and beat it, and beat it, until it came out into a perfect horseshoe, you know. All horses are different, okay. It wasn't something that they could mass-produce. It was something that the, that the, the uh, smith pounded out, and he knew. And that's what God's doing with us. With everything that we do and everything that's happening to us, he, we're on his anvil, and personally, he is, he is shaping us into Christ. Everything that happens, I can, I can rejoice no matter how much it hurts. God is doing it for my good. Because he loves me. He delivered me from all my fears. 
God, I don't know what's going on here. I'm afraid. Help me. The Bible says in Psalm 56, What time I am afraid, then I will trust in you. And there are certain times we do get afraid. By the way, that was from Psalm 56. Also another Psalm of David, verse 3. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Deliver me from all my fears. Some of you have fears and you, you, and you know it. You have fears that you can't get rid of. You don't know why they keep plaguing you. You don't know why they keep coming back, whether it's fears of your kids not being saved or you fear of your kids' well-being or fear of, of whatever only you know and God knows. He wants to deliver you from those fears. Knowing that he is in perfect control. The Bible already says we've been made complete in him. Paul says that in Colossians. We've been made complete in Christ. And he is doing these things that, that he, will, he wants to deliver us from our fears. Oh yeah, in the end, you know, when, when everything's said and done, he's going to wipe away all, all tears. Absolutely. But do we look to him? Verse 5, because it says that those that look to him, and that doesn't mean just looking, hey, what's going on? That means gazing upon with the intent of studying. You know, you gaze upon him. Are we gazing upon him? Because if he does, we're going to be radiant. Our faces are going to be radiant. We're not going to be ashamed. The Psalms, the writer of the Proverbs says that he who, uh, as of a merry heart, has a continual feast. A continual feast. That's one thing I love about the Word of God. He uses all different types of, of people, all different types of situations to write about the one true God. And in, in such a way that we all can know. I don't want us to be ashamed. I don't want us to be afraid. I want us to be radiant people. I want us to know our God. And that no matter in life, we are a source of encouragement and comfort to those that are cast down. You know, if the Lord tarries uh, another how many years, you know, you're all going to be called upon to, to be a leaning post to those that are cast down. You're going to be called upon to be those that have that are a form of solidity or encouragement uh, to those that are falling, those that hurt. Look at verse 6. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Out of all. Well, that saving constitutes when, when, when God feels that it is time for a trial to end or a time for something to change. You know, he doesn't save us out most of the times. It is so different in timing from ours. We want to be saved now. Okay, God, I've learned my lesson. No, you haven't. 
or the Lord sometimes, whatever the situation is, it's God's timing. He is going to save us out of all of our troubles. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, he had troubles from day one. The day that Jesus Christ got him on the road to Damascus, the time that his head came off on that road just outside of Rome, his, his life was marked with trials. It was marked with trouble. It was marked with, with enemies without and then enemies from within. But he was joyous. He was victorious. He was confident. And that, my brethren, was almost 2,000 years ago. He has been with Christ. Can you imagine those 2,000 years he's been with him now? That little time, he must seem like a pinhead. A little bleep compared to what he has now and what he will enjoy for eternity when, when, the, when the rest of, of the church of, of Christ is with him and we're all our glorified bodies. What I'm trying to say is, uh, did God deliver him? Yes. And in the midst of that, he gave him overwhelming joy. I think one false teacher who I won't name, it's not my intent this morning, as one false teacher so aptly said, I don't want to wait for the streets of gold. I want them now. I don't want to wait for the eternal blessedness. I want it now. In other words, he doesn't want. He wants the crown, but he doesn't want to carry his cross. He wants the glory and ease of being with Jesus Christ, but he doesn't want the tribulation and the trials now. Paul said we must enter into the kingdom of God through much trials and tribulation. Those that are intimate with Christ, let me, tell, let me say one thing before we'll go on and end this. Okay? Those that are intimate with Christ the most of those that have been bruised the most. Those that have suffered trials and hardships and endure it and come out the end waiting and abiding on the Lord and trusting in Him, those people know an, intimate with Je- an intimacy with Jesus Christ that a lot of people that want to escape those trials will never know. Amen. Hang in there. Trust in the Lord. Weeping, brethren, may endure for the night. (laughs) But joy comes in the morning. Although we sow with tears, we are going to reap with joy. Though these momentary afflictions aren't even worthy to be compared with the eternal weight of glory that will be ours in Christ Jesus. I sought the Lord, verse 4, and he heard me. And he delivered me from all my fears. God hears me. (laughs) Every word of God is pure. And he is a shield to those who put their trust in him. He saves you out of all your troubles. Troubles? Really? 
Troubles, when we get into troubles and, and, and hardships in life, God is allowing it. Now, I'm not going to sit here and try to pick hairs and say, which ones does God divinely institute? Which one does he divinely permit? That's not my job. I'm not to go through life navigatingly, burdenly, by the way, and trying to figure this out. My job is to know that whatever comes my way, God is allowing it for my good. Don't let that Romans 8.28 bird fly away. Okay? We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. And who are the ones who love God? The ones that are called according to his purpose. He's refashioning Christ. He's making Christ uh, more and more coming out. It's like that thing of marble. That's the best thing I've ever, you know, the guy's chipping away and that one lady comes by and says, man, what are you doing? He says, I'm making a horse. She says, well, I don't see a horse in there. And he says, you know, that's what I'm doing. She comes back a few days later and he's finishing up. It's a beautiful stallion of marble. Okay? It's Christian life. Our position is in the heavenlies. It gives us confidence. I've been raised with Christ, the Bible says. Seated at the right hand with Christ in the heavenly realms. I have a future. I have inheritance. Psalm 16, the lines have fallen to me in goodly places. I have a good inheritance. But what's he doing down here now? That's what counts too. You know, he's shaping and he's fashioning and some of it hurts. Remember that smith on the anvil, he knew every single horseshoe he was making. And that's what he's doing now. And of those of us that stay in, on the anvil through time and whether it hurts or not, stays there, trusts in God, knowing that he knows, we have an intimacy with Christ that those that that seek a way out will never know. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. I believe that one of the primary focuses on angels in this life and our life is safety issues, but it's, it's so much, much as well. But I want to end here this morning, okay? In verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, Jesus said this one thing, no man who puts his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, there's always that, that, that spot that we're leading more and more and more and more. I urge you on, I urge you on to love, to lay aside those things that hinder you. And you, you know, that's the one thing I love about, about God. You don't need anybody's trying to tell you what hinders you. You know God will show you what hinders you from, from, from worshiping and following him without reservation. But I think a lot of that is we don't understand it's Christian life. You know, there's been so many books that have been written about the Christian life. A lot of them are good, a lot of them are garbage. You know, it's, it's like we're caught between two worlds. We're caught between, we know what, what world we were in, before we were, we were saved, or what world, you know, has to offer, which is nothing. But then we're also caught between heaven. And, and you know, so many books have been written about what heaven's like and all that stuff. People want to know. They, get, they, they know that they've been saved from sin and all that, and, they, and they, they have heaven before them. But yet, what about now? What about this life here? I want to know about the Christian life here. That's why the epistles were written. We want to know 
what God is doing with me now, what he expects of me now, what is happening now. One thing I love about what we've experienced over the years is the tasting. The knowing that he's good. And it says, blessed is the man who trusts in him. Blessed. You know, the Amplified Bible says, blessed is whole. Oh, how very happy. How much to be envied. You know, how much of that uh, is, is the whole meaning of blessed. I'll leave that for you to, to decipher. But I do know that when we're blessed of the Lord, there is no other position or no greater thing that can happen to you in your life. Be blessed of the Lord. You've been blessed with not only Jesus Christ, you've been blessed with the gift of the Holy Spirit, you've been blessed with, with, I don't know any of us here that doesn't have more than we need. But he says, blessed is the man who trusts him. Do you trust him? When you've been on that anvil of life and he's still continuing to pound down and you're red hot and you're hurt, are you still going to trust him? Or you're going to sink to say, that's enough. I didn't sign up for this. I'll just go out some other way. You know? Pilgrim's Progress, remember, when they're, when they're getting to the, to the, the uh, celestial city and uh, Christian and, uh, and Faithful are going, and then there's this guy, I can't remember exactly who they call him. He's, he's the guy who's the average uh, churchgoer or whatever. He's, he's just getting along in life. He thinks that he can go the easy route, and he can go this and that. Well, you know, uh, he gets to the celestial city, by the way, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but there's a point I'm trying to make here. When he gets to the door, when Christian Hope will get to the door, they're greeted by the angelic host, and they're brought in before the Lord, and they enjoy the celestial city. But the one who wants to always escape the anvil of God, they want to always escape, maybe that anvil is, is something that scares some people. They, they, the loving hand of God, which allows all things in life, but yet demands, you know, the way. I am the way. Follow me. And yet these people are always trying to get off on some quick fix and some e the easy road. He gets to Celestial City. He's not greeted at all. And when he pounds on the on the, the door, he's greeted with, Who are you? I never knew you. The Lord Jesus Christ admonishes us to relish in his love. Do you relish in it? Do you think about it? I want to share a scripture with you. We might get into the second part of, of this morning. But I'll tell you what, if this does not make you realize how much God loves you, I really don't know much that will. It's in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 23. And I, I you know, I, I've heard all types of, of analogies on where, where exactly this high priestly prayer, this part of, of John's discord might have been. Some people think, and I think too, that it was, that it was uh, conveyed in the Garden of Gethsemane as, as they were going out, you know. But nonetheless... 
Jesus said in John 17, 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Does the Father love the Son? Yes. Does the Father love us? Yes, we are in Jesus Christ. God loves you immensely. We can bless the Lord at all times, brethren. His praise shall continually be in our mouth. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. He so much loves you. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that your word never returns void. It always accomplishes that for which you send it. I pray this morning that we'd be encouraged, that we'd be overjoyed in the fact that your love uh, is something that we can not only rest in, but that we can praise you for. And I ask that you would continue to instruct us out of your word, And Lord, I just pray that we would realize our position and our privilege in Jesus Christ. And Father, for his name I ask it. He who has the Son has the Father also. Look at verse 25. And this is the promise that he's promised us, eternal life. Eternal life. Again, only life in heaven with Christ is called eternal life. Life in hell is never called eternal life, ever. Eternal life is that quality of life given by the Son of God alone. Alone. Now, if people want to call me narrow-minded, then you know what? That's exactly what I am, because that's what I believe. And it has abided in me ever since I've, I've, I've heard it. And to stir the word of God in truth. Colossians chapter 1 verse 6 says, Since I understood this, that fruit has been abiding. The grace of God in truth. This is a promise. That he's promised us eternal life. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Right. There's another semantical war here. God only promises this if. Is that the scripture? I mean, we're a small group here. Does God say, I only promise you eternal life if? God promises eternal life based on the completed work of Christ and Christ alone. Jesus Christ went to the cross, died for my sin, was buried, took my sin away. That's the idea of reconciliation involved in propitiation. In other words, it's the separation from the sin and the sinner. Christ separated, he took my sin And he gave to me his righteousness. So now instead of being full of sin, awaiting judgment, I'm full of righteousness, anticipating my wonderful Lord coming for me. That's as plain as I can make it. That's the children of God versus the child that is is outside of Christ, heading for judgment. Let that abide in you. Stay put. Because he's promised us eternal life. 
These things I have written to you, verse 26, to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Okay, so again, uh, last week and this week, we've really uh, tried to really dig into the fact that he, he's going to end this by saying, I've written these things to you because there's going to be those out there that are going to try to deceive you. Many deceivers have gone out of the world. John, I can't wait to meet this man. It is amazing what God will do through, through a humble servant of his. He writes in 2 John 7, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. And then he goes on to say, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, as before, does not have God. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, or as the King James says, I love or bit of Godspeed. This is serious. This is not just, oh, well, that's what you believe. This is serious stuff. This is the Word of God. This is what our, what our, our being born again is all about. Are growing in Christ. No wonder Paul says in Ephesians 4 that we've, we have these certain teachers and God institutes the church so that we may grow up. And what does he say? So that we might not be swayed by every wind of doctrine. Wow. He's going to go on to say, Again, not only these things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, he goes on to explain, 27, but the anointing which you have received of him abides in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and it is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. Again, Jesus says in John 14, But the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. He says again for reiteration, John 16, 13, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Does truth matter? Yes. It's between life or death. You know, I, I, I just want to say that I think it's very important that we realize that this involves, this will permeate all of life, which I will say this uh, as a gateway into verse three or in chapter three, which we'll be spending time in as well, we read in John chapter three that about the 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 child of God does righteousness, the child of of the devil doesn't do righteousness. There's a reason for that, but about this chapter's anointing that we not only have any you know need of nobody teaches but the, but, the, but he teaches us he also teaches us to abide in Christ but i, I simply said again and it's clear from this passage 
that the Holy Spirit teaches us to abide in Christ. And it's the importance. This goes on to explain what Paul says in Ephesians 5, the importance of being filled with the Spirit. This is an obvious importance. This is an obvious doctrine to be filled with the Spirit, to abide. Because this Spirit-filled life, it's, it's profitable. Again, uh, it's profitable in practical ways. It's profitable, for example, for husbands, remember this, to truly love their wives as Christ loves the church. How do I do that? That is a huge undertaking. I cannot love my wife as Christ loved the church. What kind of burden is that putting on me? Yeah, in and of myself, you're right. I cannot. I cannot. But with the love of Christ and abiding in Christ and the Spirit teaching me all things and empowering me, as we'll see, how I don't have to obey sin and He empowers me with a new life infused in me. Guess what? I have the love of Christ. Now I have the opportunity to show the love of Christ to my wife. It's practical ways. What's more practical than that? It also shows that the wife can truly now submit to her husband. And they can both walk in Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't say that I'm sitting here. The, the Bible talks about a husband and wife as a, a, a husband bringing along a believing wife. Now it's, it's possible for the husband to show Christ to his wife. It's possible for the wife to submit to her husband so that they mo both can walk in Jesus Christ. It's practical in the way that we can truly please the Father, knowing what pleases him. It's truly possible now to be victorious over this, over this life, especially in spiritual warfare. And my last example, which there could be hundreds of them, that's, I'm doing a poor example by, by listing only a few, but we can finally again, brethren, be the kind of ambassadors for Christ that is well-pleasing to God. The implications of abiding in Jesus Christ are absolutely imperative to know our position and our function here in this world. My brethren, the time is short. I'm warning you, there are many spirits of Antichrist. Even the Spirit himself teaches you, you will abide in Christ, in the truth. And this will have consequences that reaches far beyond the four walls of your church. So having said that, he, he ends in verse 28, 29, and now little children, Abide in him. And when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, like I said last week, I would have started chapter 3 here. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. If we know that he's righteous, we also know that everyone who practices this is born of him. It's just natural. I love this one who I am infused in. I love this one who is who has died for my sin to bring me to himself. I love this one who loves me unashamedly. I want to be like him. It's just, and, and, and by the way, his life is in me. I am a possessor of everlasting life. He's not only promised it to me, he has given me everlasting life. 
Is it not logical that I would abide in him and practice the righteous kind of life that he desires? The Bible says elsewhere by the Apostle Paul that any so-called brother who says to you, I'm a brother and yet practices all these kinds of wicked, have nothing to do with them. Not that they, we would say we got to get away from the world because the world's full. No, he said if I meant that, that need you would go have to go out of the world. He says I'm talking about a brother, a so-called brother that says this and that practices extortion, adultery, and all these other things. I have nothing to do with them. It is illogical. Now we start separating the the uh, the understanding. Does that mean that that? I don't real I realize now for the first time maybe some of you realize how much Jesus Christ wants to be your all in all. He's not just a part of your life, he is your life. And that's a mistake I think that the Christian church is going to be held accountable for. We're teaching well, I'm Jesus, he's a part of my life. Oh God, oh yeah, I'm 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 a believer. He's a he's a big part of my life. It's like we have the opportunity. He's a big part of my life. Gosh, I, I, I have made a big room for him. No, if you are a Christian, he is your life. Let's get the knowledge of that. And that's what Romans chapter 6, for example, is all about. We've died with Christ. You know, that's what Paul was saying in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. That's the Christian life. It's not just a profession that we go our merry way. It, it is a life to be lived because our life that is dead in sin is no longer, but our life that's full of righteousness and eternal life, which is life indeed. Okay, you have Johnny over here that has no life in himself. He's dead in his sins. He's headed towards judgment. He, no matter how hard, like Jeff Graham before he was 22 years old, tried to grasp life, he was still dead in life. I don't care how jovial, how whatever, he's still void of life. He's headed for two things, judgment and hell. And then you get, then you get Johnny over here that becomes born again. Johnny over here is now the recipient of eternal life. It is only logical that Johnny would live the life that he's recipient of now. Then that's what we're talking about here. We're going to know point blank. I have had many times, not many times, many times I say that because one time's too much, but I've had a few times in my life where uh, my wife and I have experienced this, where we have wanted to sit under people that claim to be Christians, and after a while we say, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Your life does not exhibit at all what you proclaim to profess. Now, I can't judge. We cannot judge whether somebody's born again or not. We can't judge the motives of the heart. We are not the judge. But Jesus did say, you'll know them by their fruit. And Paul does say, if there's any so-called brother that lives this way, whatever, you know what? Don't have any, any room for him. You know, wise men will choose wise men. Choose your friends carefully, the Bible says. So, as a precedent laid down, we can know, for example, it is only logical that we would live in the one and imitate the one and have the desires of the one that we abide in. The problem is, Christian, do you know that you abide in Christ? Do you know that he desires it? You know, I'll, uh, I'll be honest with you. I think that uh, when I read verse 28... I realize 
that Jesus is so looking forward to his reception of you to himself that it it pales in comparison to how much we want to be with him. He is so desirous that he would bring us to himself. I think you see that perfectly in John 14, the first three or four verses. He is so expectant on finishing that work in the Father's house and coming back to get us. He is so expectant of that, you know. Uh, there's many times, and you can, you can look at this in the married realm, when you do something for your spouse and you finish it and complete it, what, what is your reaction? You want them with you. You want them to be whole. You want them to, under, to see you and just be overjoyed. That is what Christ, he is longing to come back to the house. He is preparing a place for us. His Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go away, guess what? I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself. That You will be with me forever. He is desiring that. So much desiring that. And, and we've talked about before, uh, when we did the message before on, on, on the judgment seat of Christ, it's not something that God expounds on so that we would be horrified. It's something I believe that is, it, we should look forward to the anticipation because we abide in Christ. We, we want to be pleasing to Him. We don't want to shrink away at His coming, as the NASB says, which I, I like the word, or ashamed. Because we know that everyone that is in him is righteous, or does righteousness, because he is righteous. Verse 29. You know, there's something about living life in its ultimate capacity. Let me tell you something. Solid, constant, intimate abiding in Jesus Christ safeguards us from being ashamed at his coming and his appearing for us, his bride. Simply stated, the proof of our profession, brethren, is in the life we live. The proof of our profession is in the life that we live. You know, remember how our our understanding of of the uh, Jewish wedding fits perfectly, by the way, with with, uh, what we call the rapture, the catching away of the saints, Christ coming back to receive his own. And how the the bridegroom goes and builds that, that addition on the Father's house. And I'm sure he's doing it, well, he's doing it for the one he loves. He's doing it for his betrothed. Everything's perfect. He completes it, and he's coming back. And he goes with his delegation of, of, of men before him, his wedding party, if you will. I happen to believe they're angels, but you know what? Does it matter? <laughs> he's coming back for us. He goes up to the up to the house, not quite in it, but up to the house of, of, of the to be bride, 
and she comes out to meet him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the bride coming out to meet him, not, not really expecting him or doing something? No, she comes out in anticipation and meets him. And he is there overjoyed because they are one. The Bible says that we are one spirit with the Lord, Paul says in Corinthians. And, and that joy, that anticipation is there. And then he takes us to the Father's house. Man, I, <laughs> there is nothing better than that. I have just touched the surface of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, I cannot wait to see the Lord. That is going to be um, something that well, purifies my life. It just does. If I know that Jesus Christ longs to see me, and longs to bring me to the Father's house. And he is God. How much more me being flesh. Who realized the predicament I was in. I had no life. I had no life. I was dead in sin. I was a pre- talking about being a prisoner. You know we all have watched movies about men that are in these slave labor camps. Right? That are working at it. That... That work and work and work. That's the idea of sin. That's what's abiding on the unsafe person day in and day out. That's their life. And they think they have freedom. They're shackled in sin to the point where uh, there's no life in them. They are headed for judgment. And Christ came and I have life and life abundantly. And now he's coming back for me and for you. Is it not logical that John would say, my little children... Abide in him. So when he does appear, for those that have not, that are listening, that have not been born again, that don't understand what this Christian life is all about, you'll never understand what this Christian life is all about unless you come to the one who is the Christian life. The one who came and died to show us what God not only is like, but to fulfill the scriptures that God was going to take care of the sin issue. That God was going to once and for all take the sin from the sinner of those that will will turn to him and come to him as a savior of their soul. There is only one way to God, and that's Jesus Christ, not many, only one. Beware of the spirit of Antichrist that is everywhere. There is only one way to God, and that is by Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth was both fully human, he was fully God, he was clothed in human flesh that he might walk this earth, live a life pleasing to his Father, being the perfect sacrifice for you, the innocent substitute, dying for the unjust or the uninnocent, becoming sin on your behalf, and three days later he rose from the dead in that same body and declared to the world that your sins are gone. 
You just turn to me and receive the forgiveness that I paid for, and everlasting life is yours, and the promise of it is yours. And I will promise it, because I only rose from the dead, proving that I am who I claim to be. I rose from the dead, proving that God the Father is satisfied with me dying in your place. But I will also prove it by sending the Holy Spirit to dwell within you, in making you a new creation. And the Holy Spirit is a seal saying, you are mine. No more will be shackled with sin. No more are we heading for judgment. No more are we looking to a Christless eternity where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because Jesus Christ has become my sin bearer and he has clothed me with his righteousness. He has put a robe upon me and said, Welcome. And he is called the God who created everything, my Father. And by coming to Christ... We have eternal life. And Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the the message that you have for us out of your word. I pray that you would move away the, the, the muddled edges that I put there and that the word of God will come clean and come pure and come direct. That will minister to those who need it, encourage those who need it, and instruct those who need it. I thank you that you've given your life, Lord Jesus, that we might have life. Thank you for clothing us in your righteousness so we can stand before God and know whether whether we live another 20, 30, 40 years, whether we die tonight, we are God's because of what you've done. I ask that you would take these truths and minister them and, and cause growth, Father, in those who need it. Not only growth possibly to new life, but to others growth that already have new life. That they would realize that this Christian life is is exciting. It's wonderful. It's full of truth. And I pray that we would learn to love one another. And I thank you again for this time, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now that's the gateway of to, to chapter three. If we understand this and we, we and we link chapter or verse twenty-nine to the rest of that chapter, we start understanding here that there is a a life that is lived that is indicative of one that is abiding in Christ. One that is doing his business and abiding in him, being filled with the Spirit, being the ambassadors that, that is well-pleasing to God. You know that he's righteous because we've been to the beginning. We know him who is from the beginning. Isn't that what this Bible what first started out? Look at chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen in their eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifest and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which is with the Father and was manifested to us. And he goes right into the fact of fellowship. Look at that. From verse 2 into verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things will write to you that your joy may be full. That's what abiding in Christ is, brethren, having fellowship with God. 
intimate, close union, fellowship with God. He never leaves you or forsakes you. Everything you do, you do that's well-pleasing to Him. You'd be, you be the type of person that He redeemed you to be. If you know, verse 29, that He is righteous... You know, it's the same language. If, if you have problems understanding, well, wait a minute. If you know, look at how Paul starts out. Uh, we just read it, Colossians chapter 3. If then. It's not going, well, really, are you really? No, it's saying, if the fact you are, then live this way. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices Oh, I did my good deed for the day. That's not what this means. As the, as the child without Christ, still in his sins, governed by the old sinful nature, there's no other way he can walk but adversely. Now that the one who's controlled and filled with the Spirit of God, there's no other way he can walk other than righteously. There is, a, there is an avenue that we must understand. Right and wrong, true and false. Abide in Him, brethren. Make it your aim. Make Him your first love. Run the race as if to win. Because all are running it, whether they, whether they think it or not. They're all attaining something. I was reading about Nirvana the other day. The state of, uh, to a, a Hindu uh, and so forth. It's a state of, well, first of all, they say they get to that state, a blissful state, it's a state of nothingness, where the pleasure and and, uh, and hurt and everything else are, are nil. It's a state of nothingness. They will go and have thousands of gods to acquire this state. They will listen to all these, all these uh, men of the East that claim to be men of God, God-men, and all these things, all these philosophies and all that but they can never, ever answer the sin issue. They can never deal with the real problem. But we know what the truth is. Because we let that abide in us that was from the beginning. We know the truth. And Jesus said the truth will set you free. And Father, I thank you for this message this morning. Lord, I pray that as those that listen to it, think about it, well, they would search the scriptures to see if what you say is true. What they've heard is true. I pray that we all listen with eager anticipation, but that we would go more eagerly with more anticipation back to your word and search the scriptures to see if these things are so. I thank you for the love. Even sometimes when we don't think about it, we don't understand it, we don't dwell upon it, we forget about it. But Lord, you never forget about us. You are loving us beyond imagination. And Father, by that understanding, I want to know your word. I want to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection, being conformed unto his death. 
Not that I've obtained anything now, but I this I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Some people think, and some people might have this grasp of this truth for the first time. I pray that we would listen to the Spirit of God as He teaches us Your Word. And I thank You for it. I thank You for this day, Father, and I praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. Cam wants to...